William Peacock III writes, what a splendid name, by the way. That is a fantastic name. Hi, my name's Bill Peacock, and welcome to episode 46 of the Liberty Cafe. Very blessed to have you with me today, and also blessed to have as our sponsor, Texas Scorecard, a great group that is pushing for liberty in Texas, the United States, and throughout the world. Today, I'd like us to talk about whatever happened to limited government and markets. It used to be, it seems to me, that we had conversations going on about these sort of things in the political marketplace, that particularly among Republicans, but but even Democrats, we used to see a conversation about the principles that promoted freedom and liberty and efficiency and markets and those types of things. Now, for Republicans, it, it was often more about the philosophy of government and liberty. For Democrats, it was often more about efficiency. But it still used to take place on a regular, loud basis. For instance, let's just look back at the 19, really 70s through the 90s. There, there was a great push towards deregulation, or a better way I like to phrase it is introducing competition in the markets. Ted Kennedy and Jimmy Carter were big proponents of deregulating or introducing competition into airlines and to trucking. Right. The government used to control the where everybody could fly. They used to control how much they could charge. And it was Ted Kennedy and Jimmy Carter who got rid of that same sort of setup was with inter, interstate trucking. They got rid of those. In the 1990s, they res- pulled back a lot of restrictions on banking. So again, these were both bipartisan types of efforts that went on back in those days as well. Uh, ideas like uh, minimum wage were seen by by economists almost unanimously as a bad thing because they recognized what they really did was they put poor, young, unskilled workers out of work or actually just didn't even allow them to become workers because they couldn't find jobs because they didn't have the skill set to be even paid the minimum wage. Who does this affect the most? Well, just think of black, young black males in Chicago. Why are young black males getting killed in Chicago on a rampant basis, usually by other young black males? In part, it's because of the minimum wage. They can't find jobs. Of course, you can also add in public schools there that are not only not teaching them about God, but not teaching them about anything. And then, of course, the welfare state that still puts an emphasis on not having a father in the home. So you combine all those things and black young black males are dying because of these government interventions and the lack of discussion about what really should be limited government and what should be not in government, limited government, and what should be in the markets, free markets. So those are the kinds of conversations we used to have, but they're totally absent today, mostly 
in the general mainstream discussion that we're having today. And I've just got a few examples I'd like to hit on today. First of all, there's Josh Hawley. He's up in Washington, D.C. right now pushing for 100,000 more police throughout the country with federal funding. Now, do we need more police? Maybe. Uh, obviously, this defund the police effort is a really bad thing because they're not just trying to get rid of police. They're trying to get rid of law and law enforcement. At, at least at one part, you know, the, the liberals are pushing all this might also be pushing for law enforcement at the federal level, which is, I think, part of what's going on. But they certainly don't want local law enforcement under the control of people who they can't control. But the response to that is not federal funding for 100,000 more police. As a matter of fact, that kind of actually works into the narrative of the left on this. More federal funding for police means more federal control of police. If you don't believe that, just look at everything else in this country that has federal funding. I won't go through the whole list, but you can just see higher education and K through 12 education as a primary example. More federal funding, more federal control. I'll go, let's also talk about uh, medical care. Same kind of thing there. That's how they get their little tentacles into everything is federal funding. And pretty soon they take it over for all intents and purposes. So there's no concept of federalism here by Senator Hawley. The collapse of federalism is part of what I'm talking about here in this, this concept of li uh, limited government, where the founders of this country recognize that people are sinful and we live in a fallen world. And if you centralize power, whether it's at the federal level, in, in, a, in a state or at the local level, an all-in-one branch of government, then it causes a lot of problems because the people who get that power will use it. But Holly seems just totally not to understand this. It, it, maybe at an intellectual level he does, I don't know, but he certainly doesn't at a practical level because he just ignores this principle of federalism that law enforcement should be a local activity under a under the concept of the police power of the states. The federal government has almost no police power. Josh Hawley just can't see that. And he's actually expanding the problem rather than fixing the problem. Another example is the Texas electricity market. Texas used to have the most competitive electricity market in the world. There, no doubt about it, because the Texas legislature in a bipartisan effort, and then the Texas Public Utility Commission decided that the risk for investment in new generation in Texas was going to be placed on the generators and their investment bankers rather than consumers. Everywhere else in the world, except for a couple of provinces in Canada and states in Australia, have markets where the risk goes on consumers. The generators go to the government in some form or fashion and say, hey, we want to build, and the government says, okay, we'll guarantee you this much in return. Or they bid, but it, it all works out the same way. And then that money is guaranteed, whether or not the electricity is needed. 
In Texas, it was always, since we reformed the market in 1999, moving forward, it was generators could come in and build, and if they didn't make money, they went broken. Some of them did. That benefited consumers because prices were lower, risk were on the, the, um, on the generators. But today, that's not the case anymore. As we, it, It's been falling apart for some time now, but with the, the blackouts of 2021, it has gone viral, I guess is the right word, out of control. And so everybody around that is coming up to the legislature, the PUC, trying to make money off this deal, right? They want their guaranteed profits. The PUC and the legislature is going along with all this. And everybody is coming up and wanting all this except for consumers because we're so disparate, we're so spread out, we don't have the concentrated power to come in and say, hey, what about us? And free markets and limited government are collapsing all around the Texas electricity market. Uh, another example is the infrastructure bill. You know, we had these, what was it, 19 Republicans maybe, I think something like that, thinking that for some reason, this infrastructure bill was a trillion dollars or so to be followed up, of course, by the $3.5 trillion spending bill that's coming along was a good idea that somehow spending money, and this is a fallacy that we have fallen into these days, that spending money by the government and or borrowing money to fund that spending actually increases economic activity and economic growth. Nothing could be farther from the truth. What spurs economic activity and economic growth is savings. And if you're spending all your money, which we are, you can't be saving. Now, now debt can be used in the private sector to do some good things, but the only reason you can borrow money in the private sector is because people have been saving money in the private sector and for to spend in the future. And so it gets borrowed, people invest, they produce, and then the people who've been saving can then go out and buy those things. It doesn't work like that when the government spends or, say, or borrows because they spend or borrow just by printing money. Of course, these days, they don't even have to print it. They just do some bookkeeping measures at the Federal Reserve. Right? And, and that's part of this whole concept is this Federal Reserve. People think, oh, the Federal Reserve is a great thing, but it's not. The Federal Reserve was put into place back in the, the 19-teens, I think is when it was finally adopted. After you know, We had a, a century of fighting over money and who was going to control money in this country, you know, all the way back to Andrew Jackson and the, what was that, the second, I think the second National Bank of the United States, which he vetoed or got rid of, and I can't remember all the details. And ever since then, the vested interest in this country, mainly bankers and, and industry magnates, have been trying to push for government control of the money system because they can manipulate the money system to make money off of it. And that was a big fight until the Federal Reserve was pushed in by Andrew Carnegie and, and other people like that who wanted to make money off of money manipulation. Particularly, they wanted to 
fight against the big U.S. bankers wanted to fight against the power of the smaller state bankers to disrupt their their plans. And so they got the Federal Reserve put in place. And ever since then, we've seen the United States money supply just being expanded and expanded, taken off away from gold. You know, FDR really pushed that and then Nixon finished it off. So it's a bipartisan thing. And, and today, whether it's government spending through on the policy side through the infrastructure or government debt that finances is spending through the monetary side, we as consumers and taxpayers are all getting the shaft. And this is, again, this whole concept of limited government and free markets. Why can't markets deal with money? Markets have been dealing with money since money came around and doing a pretty good job. Now, there's always been efforts by politicians or rulers, kings. You know, they used to like inflation uh, used to mean that the the rulers, the monarchs would take the silver and gold coins and shave off the edges of them to get more silver and gold, which they could print to make more money. So they the, the, the money looked the same size just about. But it wasn't because of these things. That's why you have the ridges around some coins today, because they started putting those on there so that you couldn't shave the money off to have this problem so you wouldn't have this problem. All that's out the window today. And then finally, we'll just talk a second about Texas rural broadband. Why in the world would uh, our Texas comptroller, Glenn Hager, and the Texas legislature be out there promoting Texas rural broadband legislation, government intervention in the telephone markets when we're seeing the expansion of telecommunications and broadband through the free market, whether it's you know Wi-Fi or fiber or 5G, it's spreading everywhere. And almost everybody who has once rural broadband, broadband has it. Now, there's some areas where it still isn't readily available, but it's very few places, first of all, and it's coming to those places even through satellites. Right Now, there are companies now, and I can't remember who they all are, but some of the, you know, is it, I don't know if it's Elon Musk or some of those people are putting up broadband satellites. It's coming. We don't need the government intervening in this because what they're doing is they're taking money from us, the people who already have these things, taking our money and giving it to other people. But ultimately, I want to point out that in the case of rural broadband and almost all these other things, the money's not really going to serve other people, in a sense. It's going to serve big corporations. And so I'd suggest that at the bottom of all the things that I've talked about here and plenty of other places where big government is replacing federalism, and free markets. At the bottom of all this is corporate cronyism, where corporations, well, let me say it's, it's not, it's, it's greed and envy and fallen human nature, but one of the mechanisms that is being used to, for all, by all these things to enrich people is corporate cronyism, where these major corporations, and you could think of big pharma and their vaccines, I mean, the perfect example of this is, is, is all 
the, the things around COVID where these big companies have made billions of dollars off creating these new medicines, whether it's the, the semi-vaccines that are out there for COVID or the, uh, was it Invernectin? I can't remember exactly. That's probably what it's called. And they're pushing all these sayings and saying, no, 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 don't use all these other things that are already out there. Why are they doing that? Well, it's not because a lot of these other things don't work. It's because they can't make as much money off of them. And people in government who want power and money themselves go along with this because it all works together. People in government get more money and power. People in these big corporations get more money and power. And it works out for everybody, well, except for most of us Americans. Now, the sad thing is that, you know, people on the left are totally lost on this. And, you know, with it used to be that the left hated big business. Not anymore. They love big business now because it allows them to achieve their goals of big government. But at least Republicans and conservatives used to see this a lot. But even today, that is falling apart. So, so what's the answer to all this? Well, you know, there's a lot of groups out there, like my former employer, Texas Public Policy Foundation, think tanks, conservative groups, and they're trying to promote free markets. And that's a good thing, but it's really not enough. Uh, we, we have to go back to Jesus and back to God and repent of our sins if we're ever going to get away from the human grab for power for ourselves rather than giving it back to God or not giving it back to him, but acknowledging his power and his reign over us. And so even these these all these free market groups are out there. Their efforts aren't going to work unless it's combined with the gospel. And of course, the preaching the gospel starts with the church, but it, but it shouldn't end there. The church needs to preach the gospel in the pulpits, but they also need to reach out to people beyond the church and including those in government and tell them what the gospel, what the Bible says about the public life and how God is over everything, including civil government. And then these free market groups also need to use the gospel in their messages tell people, examine scripture, and bring that into the public policy debate. Because unless God's word is involved, this is all going to fail. Their efforts are all going to fail. Now, fortunately, God's word is involved, and he is bringing that to pass. So ultimately, we're going to see these things, all these crooked lines made straight. But we really ought to pray that it will come sooner than later, according to God's will. Well, thank you very much for joining me on episode 46 of the Liberty Cafe. I'm excited about the opportunities that we have in this world today, even in the big mess that we look at. And I'm also excited about your joining me for these 46 episodes and for having Texas Scorecard as our sponsor. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.